it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. This week, we meet Jess Walker and Dennis DeBoer from White Bay Beer Company. Dennis and Jess, in addition to being self-described life partners, are also brewing partners at White Bay, a brewery that they were involved in co-founding after careers that saw Dennis work for American brewery Oscar Blues, Australia's Stone and Wood and Modus Operandi, and Jess in the wine industry and Pirate Life Brewing. Despite careers at breweries making hop-heavy beers, they were drawn to lagers when they had thoughts of their own brewery. We talk about that and how one of their lagers took out the champion beer at the 2022 Indies. But we also talk about what they learned working at pioneering and rapidly scaling breweries, about burnout, about managing being a couple in life and work, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this very fun chat as much as I did. Jess Walker, Dennis DeBoer, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks for having us. Now, I I do have to say that I've been planning this conversation. It must be, White Bay has been open three years now? Yes. Two, three years? In April, it'll be three years. In April. And in fact, I remember sitting down with Adam Tripp-Smith recording a podcast on the brewery in construction floor um, just before then and uh, when it wasn't long after. I'm pretty sure we talked about having a, ha- having this chat, but then COVID hit and uh, that meant the podcast couldn't go ahead, but it's meant a lot of different things for you guys as well. And I think we, we might come to that, but let's... Uh, Let's start the conversation with our usual question. Tell me who is Jess Walker and Dennis DeBoer? I'm Dennis DeBoer, uh, one of the co-founders of White Bay Beer Company, as well as um, head brewer, and I'm American. I've been here for about nine years. I'm trying to become Australian at the moment, and I love lager. That's a good way to start. And how about you, Jess? I'm Jess Walker. Uh, I'm actually Dennis's girlfriend. So I was, I've been a part of White Bay since day one um, and helped build the brewery, which was a very fun project for me. It was the first time on a build and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I also love lager. <laughs> <laughs> now, you said girlfriend. I've heard it described as life partner. I'm not sure. You know, how long have you guys been together and how, and how did you meet? Because it's a, you know, it, it's a bit of a dynamic duo. Um, we've been together since 2016, but we met in 2015 2015, at the (laughs) Gilbert street hotel in Adelaide. Um, at a beer event, it was, it was, uh, (laughs) modus operandi officially launching into South Australia and MC from pirate life said, well, we'll take you guys out and show you a good time. Um, so we got together with the Pirate Life crew, had probably one of the booziest nights <laughs> of my life. Um, I think a lot of people can make that claim. Yeah, uh, seems to <laughs> come with the territory with MC. Um, and yeah, met met Jess there. Um, and it's it's just sort of been history ever since. Yeah. And you were brewing four motors at that stage. What was your role uh, in, in that night, Jess? Uh, I, I was brewing at Pirate Life at the time. So I was their first employed brewer, but they basically taught me everything I know. It was my first brewing gig. Um, so I was very fortunate in that, that I learned some pretty good lessons and learned how to drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, Pirate Life. <laughs> what was your background if your first brewing gig was at Pirate Life? How did you come to be at Pirate Life, Jess, and uh, what was your interest in brewing? Um, so I originally grew up in the Barossa Valley and have completed about, uh, I think, seven vintages. Um, so wine or cellar work has kind of always been uh, something I've done. And then I spent quite a few years traveling as well, um, landed in the UK for a while, and I became a drinks trainer for a 
pub company there, which was focused on craft beer in 2013. Um, so I really developed a love for, I've always enjoyed drinking beer, but sort of understanding the process and uh, just found, had never known what, where I wanted to be, but the industry just felt, I felt connected to it. And I, you know, I don't know, just kind of fell into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was really lucky. Uh, I was just in Adelaide at the time. Uh, met the Pirate Life guys on a social level. I was doing a TAFE course with Nelson at TAFE SA. And yeah, I kind of, I was, would say it all just fell into place for me. I was very lucky. It, it, it's interesting. So you'd worked on a couple of vintages in the cellar, I'd, I'd imagine, working around that. Was it just your proximity to it that you found that work you know like like a lot of city kids would work down at the bakery um you know on on a saturday morning or what was it about fermentation and wine uh, other than just proximity that that lured you in uh money (laughs) to travel no i think i've always really enjoyed the food and booze industry i always knew i'd somehow end up in the industry um i've always really enjoyed doing cellar work i found i did all red wine so I find that fermentation pretty interesting and yeah, it, I, it probably was just the, the rite of passage of a Barossa kid that you, you do a vintage and then you go travel, but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it when I was doing it. So, <laughs> And you ended up doing seven before you traveled from the sound of it. Oh, they, it just, it keeps funding the traveling. So you come back, do another one, go away again, come back. So, Did you deliberately seek out the education role that you did in the UK where you were doing drinks training? No, I was uh, just like a shift lead in a central London pub um, and I'd worked for the same company for quite a few years um, and so yeah my manager just put me forward uh, to apply for it and I was lucky enough to be one of six um, and we were converting 12 inner city pubs into predominantly craft beer focused and craft spirit so it was really it was a really cool job I really enjoyed it. Did that spur your interest in craft beer or was it did you already have a fairly well-formed interest in craft beer before you took that role on i've definitely always been a big cooper's drinker but uh to actually i probably learned a lot more about english and american craft at that time uh coming back to australia i wasn't aware of too many of the craft brands here uh but yeah it certainly triggered that interest in um, like i got to see camden uh town brewery sort of in their first year or two and um so i saw the rise of some pretty awesome breweries. Um, we were getting like fresh Brooklyn in the UK as well. And yeah, just some pretty like amazing beers, Sierra Nevada Pale. And so I tried all these outstanding beers and that really did trigger my interest in like what craft beer was happening in the UK, in the US. So I sort of figured when I got back, it's going to happen here. It was a choice to sort of stay and try to become a part of the growth that I'd see here. And Dennis, you uh, had a, a slightly different and intro, you and your father were home brewers. Yeah, so pretty much kicked that off from the age of 18. Um, so the, the drinking age in the States is obviously 21. Um, but a bunch of my mates in uni um, discovered home brewing. And they were, at the time, fermenting their beer in the same buckets they'd used to mop the floor. Um <laughs> Hopefully they sterilized at least or did something. I think that the bleach must have. um, But like even just tasting those early, early batches of their, their floor brew just opened my eyes to, um, (laughs) yeah, what, what could be possible. Um, So yeah, I kicked off with my old man um, and then just started volunteering wherever I could around breweries around Colorado Springs. And, and you followed what is you know, uh, many a brewer's route. Uh, you, you went from brewing in your garage to working as a packaging technician um, at, at a number of breweries before getting your first brewer's role. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, and, and even to get, the, to get paid to be a packaging technician, at least back in 2011, was, um, I feel like, a major milestone. Um, at least for a lot of the small breweries, there were just plenty of people who would happily do it for free beer. Um, so I, like I said, worked, volunteered at several breweries around Colorado Springs, but my sort of white whale had always been Oscar Blues, which was about an hour and a half north of where I lived. And I interviewed with them, I think four times before they finally hired me. Um, so 
it's 12 hours of driving to get a job making $9 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I worked on that line for, I think, four months before becoming Oscar Blues's first assistant brewer. It's interesting, and we'll come back to that because Oscar Blues is one of those breweries that looms large in you know the the, the lore of craft brewing. But just picking up that that thing about you know people would volunteer to work on you know brewery lines or help out in in, in a brewery for the experience or just because they loved being around breweries and getting free beer. Do you think that? The industry is still at that stage, you know, where it just mines the passion of people who love the industry, or have we grown past that stage? I feel like it's kind of matured out of it. Um, I can't really speak for the U.S. scene because I haven't been there in a decade, but um, I certainly feel like here um, you have well-established brands and companies that have numerous... (laughs) employees and structure to things so um yeah i i think it's it's a lot more structured than it was and even now compared to my time at modus um we certainly don't have people coming in (laughs) offering to do free work for a few cans of beer after their shift (laughs) i also think the education that's available now so through all of the tafes um, where brewing courses have now become, you know, a bit more popular and that gives you time in breweries, some of them. So rather than it being necessarily volunteer in one particular brewery, I know that especially the New South Wales Safe course, you get hands-on experience in certain different breweries. So I feel like at least you can educate yourself that way and still be volunteering. Um, well, not really, you know, get that on-the-job on the experience a bit uh, to see, yeah. Absolutely. So, Dennis, you you started work at Oscar Blues, as I said, a very storied brewery, and it was you know one of the very very early breweries to can. And I think you started there in 2011. So by that stage, they were well and truly canning. Yeah, um, we were certainly canning a lot of beer, but um, even when I started, like we were on this old converted, it was a soup can seamer. Um, that had come over from China. It was this massive cast iron thing that would have um, certainly made a good boat anchor for a cruise ship. Um, and there weren't many people working there. I mean, we were, I think at the time, distributing into like 12 different states. So probably making somewhere around 8 million liters a year. But it, it, it I don't know, it took off like wildfire. That's interesting because I remember my first trip to the Great American Beer Festival would have been in 2009 Mm. and it was in Cairns then and it was before any Australian breweries had it and it was still a bit of an anomaly before, you know, the the ubiquity of Cairns these days. Um, And I'm interested to hear that they had such a bad setup. Um, But it, it, it highlights how just even in that, 11 or 12 year period the craft beer industry has completely changed yeah it's um it's it's certainly that to set up i think a successful brewery anymore i mean you need to have money behind you <laughs> to to cut through whereas um i mean when oscar blues was founded dale i mean i think was just borrowing begging and stealing wherever he could he could get it you know so um, it wasn't really even until I left the place that I was handed a wrench instead of a roll of tape to fix anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I can say that would be for most breweries, I feel like, in that era. Um, that until you sort of hit a, a certain size where, you know, you can you can afford to be price competitive, but you have the distribution footprint to wear such small margins, um, you are just sort of living hand to mouth. Which is no doubt something else we'll uh, come back to. But I'm, I'm fascinated because it's not just that element of it where everyone was very amateur, but we've also seen the industry supplying the brewing industry change where you know you had to have repurposed equipment and a lot of brewers bottled because there was no capacity for them to can at small, small scale. And the whole industries have grown up around making equipment for 
smaller brewers to, to specifically cater to much the, the, the smaller end of the industry. And that's revolutionized the game. Yeah, totally. I mean, having to buy a million can, printed cans at a time <laughs> back in the day just to hit minimum orders, um, not many people could afford to wear that on the head. Um, so. I, I feel like, too, that the technology now in cans is it's pretty interesting because it's enabling all sorts of things to happen with, like, mixed cocktails and, you know, like all these different cold brew seltzers. And, yeah, it's pretty cool that I think that sort of like you were saying, that smaller level ability to do small runs on smaller canning lines has really actually, like, made a lot of new products and a lot of beverage products available to everyone. It's pretty awesome. That's actually a really uh, great point, Jess. And it's one of the things I look at is that if, if you go back – you know, 15, 20 years to the, the birth of what was called craft beer. Craft brewers were against a lot of things. You know, it was, we're small, we're traditional, we're independent, we don't use adjuncts, we don't. And the longer we've gone on, and, you know, there was a, we only make beer. We're against those big companies that want to be multi-beverage companies because they don't care about beer. Um, the, the longer we've gone on, I've started to come to the conclusion that, in the early days of craft beer, craft brewers were against anything that they couldn't actually do because they couldn't do it themselves as opposed to, you know, and, and they, they've gradually evolved. So using adjuncts, you know, using corn, using rice, using sugar, um, using sugar, uh, using sweeteners and fruit extracts were all um, no-nos for, for, for the craft brewer because of the integrity of the process. But now... The great experimentation comes from those things. Um, canning was something that only the big brewers could do, so it was a hallmark of cheap mainstream beer. And we've gradually jettisoned all of those things, including making non-beer products, which the craft industry has embraced as, as they've had the capacity to do it. Yeah, yeah. agreed. I, I feel like you're a bit strange if all you want to do is make traditional beer anymore. Um <laughs> I'm not sure that's what the people want. <laughs> These things can be a little bit circuitous because I don't know whether to follow that now because that's not what you're doing at White Bay. So we might put a pin in that one and come back because you at some at some point you did leave Oscar Blues, um, Dennis, and uh, came to Australia. Was was there any one between Oscar Blues and Modus, or was Modus your next job? Uh, no, I did six months at Stone and Wood. Ah. Um, and it, I think Merwillen Bud just been up and running for maybe a year. So sort of prior to me coming to Australia, I literally, I think I found the independent brewers website at the time, which was a directory of maybe 30 brewers. Um, and literally just emailed them all, said, look, I'm passing through. I need work. Can you help me out? And uh, Brad Rogers was the only one who emailed me back. And... Yeah, so I lived in a hostel in Byron Bay for six months and commuted every morning with the maintenance crew up to Merwillamba. And yeah, it was a wild time. I think to see the, the pace at what they were growing, like the magnitude of sort of the, the goals they had <laughs> and the amount of beer they needed to make to hit these targets, like it was, it was crazy. Even coming from the States where craft beer was still somewhat young, I mean, you still, if a brewery put an ad out, surely someone from a brewery eventually would come along and apply for it. Whereas I feel like that time in Australia, we were repurposing a lot of, a lot of people were interested in working in a brewery, but didn't have brewing experience or, or experience the level that was required. So it was, it was fun to step into that environment and work with people that were working to step up and meet these challenges. What was that like? Because, you know, I, again, I remember getting the call from Brad telling me about their plans to open a little brewery in Byron Bay that, you know, Pacific Ale, the juggernaut that is Pacific Ale was called Draft Ale because it's at least according to their foundation story, they only ever wanted to supply it to publicans within a short region of the brewery. Um, but you know, by what 2012, when this has, they'd been open for three or four years and uh, were already expanding at that frenetic pace. 
did they have a handle on that growth or were they making it up as they went along? And how did that impact you as a young brewer? I feel like at the time they were working to get a handle on the growth um, and they were certainly bringing in some really cool consultants to help them along the way. Um, people that I keep up with some of them and others I've, I've just sort of lost touch with, but um, you know, a lot of sort of old school legendary brewers, I think that Brad had worked with in, in a previous life. Um, so I feel like probably at that time it was just sort of like, hold on and <laughs> let's see where this goes. Um, whereas you look at it now and the place is just a well-oiled machine. And, and what did you learn? Because now you're involved in your own brewery. You're a founder of White Bay. What did you learn through that process that you've been able to apply to your your own brewery? I think in all honesty, I was I was pretty hypercritical of that experience until opening White Bay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we all uh, criticize our parents until we are parents. That's right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because it. Uh, yeah, that's it. Is it's it's fair enough to to throw stones, but um, once you're in that position and everything sort of relies on you to work, um, mistakes will happen, <laughs> and it it ends up being your fault, and there's not much you can do about it. I think that's that's probably been the toughest part. Is I'm a perfectionist and hypercritical individual and coming to terms with failure <laughs> and then and then digging myself out of that hole has been an experience yeah a journey failure is an interesting word pick up on that oh i i think in in respect to our project i think it's could it is just like dumping tanks of beer um, which isn't something I, I don't think I've ever done. I don't recall dumping a single tank of beer at Modus. Um, so wearing that on the head, um, working through, you know, COVID trying to, to hit these financial projections that we had worked on with our, our business partners and sort of promised our, these, these investors that we hit <laughs> not knowing that COVID was coming along. Um, yeah, and, and constantly sort of being on the back foot and navigating your way through those waters and uncertainty, you know, which is something that I wasn't used to. Um, you know, Oscar Blues, we just grew from strength to strength to strength. You know, I feel like we had that same momentum at Modus. It was just constantly pushing forward. And here, like, opening in April of 2020, so effectively as Sydney was shutting down in its first COVID lockdown, um, I, we just sort of stayed on our back foot for 18 months. So it was very challenging. It, it hurt my ego <laughs> a lot just, just sitting on the back foot and not finding what I felt like uh, a positive stable direction to go in that people could latch on to and give us some momentum i think on that in terms of what dennis is saying too as you'll probably pick up on but we'd set out to make lager and we'd even designed our cellar to be larger than it needed to be to give beer tank time it was always the initial plan and having people in the venue in a venue that we could like actually express who we are and so then COVID hit and all of a sudden we've gone from wanting to make these awesome long tank time lagers and then having to completely change the game because now all of a sudden we're having to make, a, you know, a limited release every week to sell to, you know, the locals in Balmain as they're coming down on their, you know, restricted movements and all this stuff. So we really had to change the whole plan of what we were doing in that, in that sense and just trying to juggle all of that. I think it just sort of threw us off for a bit. Jess, while we're talking about breweries growing apace, your first brewing job was at Pirate Life that was you know, on a very similar trajectory. It was growing very, very quickly. They were you know, frantically trying to keep up with demand both through capital expenditure but then also volumes. 
But then at that stage, their beers were very uh, aggressively hopped beers. So it was an interesting. What did you learn through that uh, really challenging period? A lot. <laughs> I think, honestly, I feel like I got, a, I don't know, like years of experience in probably two. I think I was at Pirate Life just over two years, two and a half years before I left to move up to Sydney. Uh, and I feel like I was able to learn and experience so many things that people in larger breweries wouldn't. Uh, we had a really, really small team. Jack and Red were still on the floor. It was just Lewis, Kieran, and I. So we were packing, brewing. Um, and we're just, yeah, like you said, we're just trying to keep up. But it, it meant that we were doing everything. Uh, so all of us just learned what I'd say is like cellaring, brewing, and packaging. In a year, we sort of were, were probably at a level that we understood a lot more than maybe others. And we were problem solving a lot of issues and yeah, I, I, growing in a business that, that's starting out and then going like that, it, yeah, I don't know, you know, you can't describe it. You're on, a, you're on a, a roller coaster. It's a hell of a lot of fun and you learn a lot of stuff, put a lot of hours in. But yeah, I, I think it's given me for sure, those guys give, have given me my career today. Um, yeah. What was what was that Christmas canning run? How <laughs> yeah, was that? So, New Year's <laughs> Eve, Jack Lewis and I worked for 23 oh jack did 34 hours louis did i think 30 hours and i did 24 straight on the back of an 18 hour day uh we packed three tanks of beer um just so we could get beer out it's like a double ipa a pail and a throwback or something but yeah so we were just all in i don't know we were like a family i know it sounds cliche but a lot of us those guys were from interstate i had just moved back to adelaide and we just wanted to see the brand grow and we all felt a part of it so i don't know it was fun (laughs) <laughs> it's interesting though because you can't sustain that but it's 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 a common story from businesses that succeed yeah well i mean soon after that we you know there was more people involved we moved to proper ship work and it's yeah like dennis said the slightly the structure obviously has to come in and uh, yeah it's not sustainable and we got the new tanks in and yeah so I guess with growth comes the ability to hire more people. and. But you guys um, had such a strong, passionate foundation yeah. in in your small team that yeah. at least from someone doing long-distance dating, you know, we Jess and I would constantly be texting each other, you know, and, oh, I've worked 14 hours today and I did 16. <laughs> and um, we, we just sort of exchange war stories, but um, it – blew my mind because I, I I think Oscar Blues, we had an amazing team. Modus, we had an amazing team. I think we have a ma- an amazing team at yeah. White Bay today. But the amount of passion in that early days Pirate Life team was insane. Like just people willing to put relationships, mind, body, <laughs> everything on the line. Like let's just get this pale ale out. And it was exceptional beer on top of that. It was the, the quality couldn't be ignored. Um, I mean, I think the, their beer is still amazing. But, yeah. Um, Dean and I talk is, about it all the time. I think we both come from the same thing in some ways, you know, like Dennis being the first assistant brewer at Oscar Blues and you kind of just get thrown into this whirlwind and you're both learning and we're both probably both quite high perfectionists and high <laughs> So it, I think we just come from a really similar background. And, yeah, I... I I don't know how to say, like, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It teaches you everything. It teaches you things that you can't train to people, you know. I don't, you just have a base of knowledge that comes from so many different times and experiences that you can go back into and problem solve and move forward and fix and do all these things that, you know, we just, we just had to do. Listening to the stories from, you know, brewers, um, you know, over, over 20 years and some of the breweries have gone on to be very successful. Some of the breweries have, you know, for want of a better word and not pejoratively failed. You know, they haven't, they haven't flourished. <laughs> the, the, the descriptions and the stories often sound the same. And, you know, a, a, as an observer, sometimes I think, you know, you can have passion, you can have good beer, you can have even a good idea. And sometimes, you know, it, it, it sounds like the difference between success and failure is can sometimes just be luck and timing. Um, you know, it, it, is that a fair observation to make? Yeah, I think luck, timing, and a few 
16-hour workdays. Um, <laughs> a lot of failing businesses have worked 16-hour workdays yeah, as well, yeah. so, and, and it hasn't helped. And, and that's where I'm, I, I try and understand what the difference is or what is the essential ingredient that makes something flourish when others haven't. The thing I've come to believe, and maybe I'm wrong in my time in the industry, so I've been in the industry since like 2015, is as a brewery, if you want to be on a national scale, you need to be able to make a person, you know, feel something when they're holding your can, you know, and that's, it, it obviously comes down to branding and marketing, but as a consumer, they must, they have to pick your beer and when they hold that beer, they either, you know, resonate with quality or the brand, like a lifestyle brand or, you know, that's the way I see it. I think that's the only way in this day and age to cut through is, is the vibe, you know, you got to feel the vibe when you're drinking a beer or maybe it's not so, you know, I don't know. That's kind of what I think the the key point these days i think it's a good point well made too i guess that that, that's the question you know there are so many intangibles and consumers can be convinced of quality you know that that they can believe in quality even if they can't objectively taste it and and that's where the brand comes in You, you mentioned national brands there we had an interesting chat with mark hazeman from mighty craft recently who said it's increasingly hard for brands to become national brands no matter what else they offer because the gatekeepers are the large retailers um, and to, to go national you basically have to be ranged nationally in them by and large and they're less and less inclined to get behind a brand to take it nationally. Is that your experience at White Bay? Yeah I mean we to be honest we haven't put much of an effort going national in any sort of direction and Sydney's sort of always been our white whale. <laughs> It'd be great to be a household name in Sydney. Um, these days we do sell beer interstate, but yeah, I think just the, the sheer amount of man hours chasing up new accounts, um, building relationships there, having an accounts team to support it, uh, a logistics and fulfillment team, it's it's not easy. You know, it, it's certainly much easier when people call you asking for beer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Our town isn't really national. We want to, yeah. Sydney's certainly something that we want to achieve and, you know, get more beer into first before we yeah. think about going, especially with major retailers, you know. And I, I mean, I do think this day and age as well, I mean, that there, there are so many players that can afford to, to play national and, price themselves competitively and to cut through that regardless of what you got is going to be difficult so yeah it's it's all right focusing local (laughs) (laughs) well drawing a couple of those threads together tell us about white bay so you're both founders um of the company with people like adam trip smith who i've called a serial beerpreneur very hard to pronounce, but you know he's been involved in a lot of startup businesses and others. How did White Bay come come to be? How did you guys come to be part of White Bay? So at the end of 2018, Jess and I both retired from beer. So I'd left Modus after four years, and um, at the time, Jess had been working. She lost a coin toss to me and had to move to Sydney. So she'd been working at Four Pines as a team leader for about a year and a half. So we, we quit, quit our jobs there, packed up, and went to New Zealand to just decompress. We got jobs working at a winery over there, to which I later quit mid-vintage, so I have a <laughs> lot of enemies in New Zealand now. Um, but yeah, while we were over there, we, Adam just hit us up out of the blue and said, you know, we're... We're putting this project together with a few people. Um, you guys' names have come up in conversation a few times. We had both met Adam, um, obviously, in our previous lives. But, um, yeah, took a few flights to Sydney from Auckland, just back and forth, meeting with these guys, spent a few meetings on Zoom. And at the time, and it hasn't changed much now anyways, but Lager was sort of the 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 foundation of our discussions and that was something Jess and I were both both really interested in um so that was that was the founding of White Bay did it take much because you you used words retired and you know 
a break from the industry and things. And you know, you, you've also described some fairly intense work histories. Was a bit of burnout involved in you stepping away? And it was it was it a hard decision? If it was to 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 come back in at a role where there is, I would imagine a fairly high potential for burnout as a, uh, a, a, a as a business owner. Yeah, I mean, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I I was a bit more torched than Jess, and it was certainly it weighed on our minds for for ages. But we both wanted to get a brewery build under our belts. And that's a lot easier to do with someone else's money. Um, we, we just sort of looked at it as these, these opportunities don't come around very often. And these guys are both, I mean, they're interested in what we're doing. So we might as well give it a shot. Um, and Sydney was sort of, uh, you know, had been our home for the previous 18 months. Neither of us really know where we want to live. Um, so we were more than happy, you know, to recall Sydney home, I guess. Um, and then we were able to see the building that the brewery's in before the lease was signed. Um, and I think you've been there, Matt, but it's a pretty exceptional, it's a very cool building. Um, there's a lot of potential there and, you know, I guess, yeah, I, if we were going to give it a go working together, too, <laughs> at least it's not like, you know. If it didn't work out, I could certainly go and pick up brewing work somewhere else. Um, we have a community of friends here in the industry too that we felt supported, and yeah, I kind of yeah. And we we shook hands with, or digitally shook hands, I guess, with Adam in probably about May of 2018, and he said, "Look, we don't 2019, Sorry. yeah," and said, "Look, we don't we don't need you back in Sydney until October." Um, so we just focused the few remaining months of our retirement on sleeping and um, traveling and hiking <laughs> we drove around the states for three months drinking beer which is great yeah hopefully not at the same time you'll get out a back no, on us so uh, have, having had experiences in some you know significant rapidly growing you know highly notable businesses what did you distill in opening your own well we had a lot of grand ideas for what we were going to do and what we were going to do differently. Um, and how many of those lasted? Yeah. <laughs> how many of those <laughs> ideas? And you know, what is it? Uh, planning is great, but it never survives survives contact with the enemy. Yeah, or... that's right. Yeah. Um, I think we're we're still brewing lager, um, and that's that's probably about it. You know, you keep having these moments where it's like, oh, now I see why you did that. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, see, I'm happy. I. Put, made sure all the fermenters were far enough off the wall that you could walk behind them and clean them. So there's key things that I'm I'm stoked with. <laughs> yeah, and I think to to Jess's credit, I like I'm I'm terrible at, uh, about visual visualizing things. So you know, going in there, our sort of first task was here's an empty space, put a brewery in there, um, and. Uh, we sat with a pad and a pen for days and just walking around the space and, oh, I think it should be here, it should be here. And I just couldn't, for the life of me, visualize what the layout would look like. And Jess just said, just leave it to me. Um, <laughs> and so our current brewery layout is, that's that's Jess's design. You do all the naming and the creative. <laughs> <laughs> You did mention, you know, that working together wasn't, you know, a certain successful outcome. How how has it gone? Because any form of creative endeavor automatically involves, you know, an inherent tension, even if it's a creative tension and a positive tension, there there, there is a tension. But when you've got, you know, and, and so are relationships, how do you manage those when, when you've got a, at the end of the day if you've had a fight or a, a, a constructive disagreement um, during the day how do you manage that when you go home and have to uh, you know cohabitate I think like early days it was it was difficult and not only for us but for 
everyone. You know, there was a lot of it's it's good our house has two bedrooms. Um, I think it's still difficult but, for everyone at work because I'm not yeah. sure we've nailed that interaction quite well yet. But uh, we're getting there. I think I was, well. <laughs> I'm not trying to get into any secrets here, but just uh, it, it's <laughs> learning. <laughs> Our poor staff had to put up with it. Yeah. I think- we're, we're, we've worked together and lived together, obviously, for so long that we just have a, a methodology that um, we, we can almost get to the point where we don't speak to each other and just sort of mechanically work around each other and get, get things done. But I think for our team who don't um, haven't gotten on our level of uh, telepathy. Or intensity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it can be confusing. So I think it's been challenging still to this day. We still actively have to try to leave work conversation at the door or, you know, at the moment we're working 10, 12 hour days in the brewery and it's hard. You really do have to try to make an effort to, to make time for yourself. And, you know, we just booked a weekend in Katoomba, which is the blue mountain. We have to move ourselves away from, almost the brewery and the house now to just to kind of escape it. But we've always come back to it through. I mean, it's, it's certainly pushed us to some, you know, to the, to the edge, but we've always come back to the fact that now, unfortunately we don't want to do it with anyone else. So we're sort of stuck. I get fired <laughs> every week. It's great. I just, you know, <laughs> well, I think we're, we're, it's nice that this industry is, it's probably not unique compared to many small family businesses in that sense, but it's it's nice that this industry can support couples like that, and there are so many. So yeah. anytime we sort of have strife, um, I can call DJ, you know, uh, Jess will call Penny at Banks, and, <laughs> you know, I'll be like, you can't believe what she did today. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, there you <laughs> Yeah, you're not the only one. Um, so it's... It's good that there is a, a – we're not the only ones and, you know, we have a support network to um, help us sort of manage the the chaos of maintaining a relationship in a brewery. I think I'll leave that one there. I won't dig any deeper. It, 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 it sounds like there'd be some good stories coming out of it. But let's talk lagers because you, you, you've both said you love lagers, but you, you, you've worked for breweries that, for example, you know, Pirate Life and Modus uh, and Stone and Wood even um, were breweries that were best known for hops and in two cases, big hops. What is it about lagers that, you know, did, did you see that that – evolution was coming that wheel was turning and that lagers were going to come back and have their day or did you just love lagers and want to make the beers that you loved i've always loved lager yeah i i have no problem saying cooper's coors banquet is uh my favorite beer um and actually i remember when i worked at stone and wood i we'd brew probably one brew of green coast every fortnight and I remember drinking that beer, and it was it was beautiful. And they'd filter it. Uh, they had this tiny little DE filter in the cellar that most people didn't know how to use, but it just made beautiful beer. And, yeah, going to Modus, we were certainly just focused on big, hoppy beers. And at the time, I really loved drinking that beer. But I feel like after a few years of just consuming alpha acids – I um, got to the point where it's like, I, I think I just want something clean and cold and crisp and haven't really moved away from that. So. Yeah. I feel like I probably have just developed myself, you know, my own evolution of loving multi beers into hoppy beers and now just appreciating just really good lager. Uh, I think as a brewer too, it's, you know, it's the ultimate, you, you know, you can't hide behind, any faults or anything so it's you know this far into your career it's more interesting maybe I should say um as well so it keeps us um sort of learning and experimenting and moving forward and I think Dennis still to this day makes amazing hoppy beer he understands hops and malt actually incredibly well he does all the recipe writing um but yeah as I say it's just lager that we find 
I definitely find the most rewarding and the most interesting and I taste the lager tanks in the cellar the most and yeah, it just sort of excites me the most, uh, particularly at the moment too. And I, I, Yeah, for us to have, it's basically all we talk about in, in the cellar is small manipulations <laughs> to, to a recipe and it might be fermentation temperature dropping from 10 degrees to, to 9 and let's see what this does. And we won't know for 10 weeks time, <laughs> but we'll, we'll take notes and, and compare these things. Like, um, maybe we're just in the golden years now of, of our brewing careers that <laughs> we don't mind sitting on the front porch and waiting for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, right. Cause I, I was doing a mental Arithmetic, and, and you're both what, 33 or 34, and you're already. Was I right there in my? I'm 36, actually. Oh, 36. Okay, Dennis, you're 33, 34. 34. Yeah. 34. Um, you know, it, it, it's a bit young to be sitting out there talking about being on your porch and drinking old person's beer uh, as lager. Well, we we retired once, you know. <laughs> already. <laughs> but I mean, we're talking about earlier cracking a beer and we actually just packaged a, a pretty cool beer today um which I, i'm allowed to talk about which is exciting uh so it's our nz pilsner um and so we've used again i think this is kind of where it becomes cool and interesting so we've used uh, one of the new zealand experimental hops in it which one's that because they've got one about to launch i believe yeah so this is the 103 so we've yep. done uh, hazy with the 102 I believe and we did an amber lager with the 101 yeah, um, yeah everyone's te- uh, that's a test for me um, so just really simple base well again like we all do with all of our lagers um, we didn't go too heavy in the hot side with this because uh, it was really high alpha so we didn't want huge bitterness um, and then we actually did give it a dry hop so it's sort of more proper pills there uh, and it's just it's really cool it's it's turned out with this awesome kind of bubblegum aroma and then like a honeysuckle note and then you still get that little bit of very identifiable New Zealand hops in it and so I'm enjoying the idea of making new lagers or these types of beers using new hops and single hopping this and seeing the expression in a different way and cold you know cold dry hopping it's a thing (laughs) Um, yeah and so again giving it our three-month tank time using our house lager yeast. Uh, yeah, just seeing how the subtlety that you can get and the different flavors that you can get using hops in um, in lagers or pilsners uh, and just really enjoying that. Look, it, that sounds like an amazing beer, but it's only going to be available in the brew pub, will it? Or in the... No, it's, it's releasing this week, so I'm not sure when you're releasing this podcast, but... It'll go it'll out next Tuesday, so... Cool. so- I'm sure we'll have some available online still uh, through the online store and it will go into New South Wales or some retailers. There's some going into state, I believe, too. It's called Every Shade of Green. Every Shade of Green. You nailed the stuff that a brewer should nail. The name is for the marketing department, so it, it, it's all good. I do all the packaging, so I really should have taken note of that today. <laughs> But uh, it must have been when you won last year the champion beer at the Indies for the lager, which is is, is that the Gantry lager? No, that, that was just core range lager, so formerly union lager. Yep. Yeah. You won the champion trophy for it. It must have been, you know, an affirmation to have gone into the business wanting to make lagers and then get the highest accolade at the major awards for an independent brewery. It blew our minds and um we were not prepared for that yeah um (laughs) we put i think four different lagers into submission for that particular competition and like picked up what we had figured was uh, an off flavor in the the batch of lager we submitted and even prior to submission jess and i tasted because we had i think two batches in the cool room um to submit and side by side them the day before the it got picked up and decided against the one that we were submitting in the last minute so we'll submit this one and then i mistakenly 
just submitted the original fans. <laughs> Anyways, so going into it, we're like, well, it's not going to be lager. Like, if we got anything, um, this this is going to be Gantry Crane, which is we we both love lager. It's since become our favorite child again. But at the time, Gantry Crane was definitely mm-hmm. like, this is this is the one. Um, so when lager won, it it we were both like this. How did this happen? So it's it was crazy. That's interesting. Did you go back and try some of your store samples to check, or we tracked down judges, you know, and asked them. <laughs> um, it's like, are you sure you didn't try, taste anything off in that lager? <laughs> yeah, which I guess uh, it was it was good, but that it blew our minds that night that that was the beer that won, and then for it to take champion beer. Um, I still don't think I really comprehend that our lovely little home, like our core range lager, which is amazing to drink. I'm not going to lie. I took out the Indies last year. It was sort of, it's a pretty numbing moment to be honest. Well, as, as somebody that sat in the, uh, in, in, in the brewery or the, 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 the brew pub drinking the lagers, you know, and just having conversations with good people with a, a beer like that, you know, it's, it, it's one of the reasons why I love beer in the first place. And, uh, you know, so, so congratulations um, for, for, for doing that. And, uh, you know, congratulations for all you've achieved with White Bay in some really, really difficult circumstances. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, and, and to be honest, that's why we brew beer. Like that's, yeah. and, and particularly that beer, to, to sit with friends and not have your phone out and meet new people and share a pint I have to say, I, I still prefer drinking from a nothing bigger than a schooner in a sitting. I still can't order a pint. And it's just, I'm not sure whether that's my age because everything used to be a, a nine ounce or whether it's just, I, I like going to the bar a lot. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> well, I suppose in this climate, your beer stays colder, right? Yeah. <laughs> There is a bit of that, but uh, yeah, no. But however you drink it, uh, congratulations. And thank you very much for this uh, conversation about your careers, uh, White Bay and Great Lager. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Jess Walker and Dennis DeBall. If you like what we do at Radio Brewers News, you can help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach brewers, you can advertise on the show. We certainly have that audience in spades. If you're a listener, you can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service. Or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au or join the Facebook group and discuss all things beer and be part of the conversation yourselves. 